It is such an honor and a delight to be with you guys at Valley Church this weekend. There is nothing I would love more than actually to welcome you into my kitchen in North Carolina and feed you and put some chili on and kind of get to know your story a little bit. But I know this is the next best thing and I look forward to meeting many of you this weekend. When I was asked to come and uh, just share a little bit of my heart on biblical hospitality, I know that many of you, especially the men there, are going to start thinking about the football game this afternoon. Um, but one of the things that I realize is I am standing here as somebody who has the honor of multiple generations of families and modeling open door living. And I know that understanding the heart of biblical hospitality changes everything. If any of you are in sales, you know that understanding the compelling reason why is one of the most important things that they tell you. I really believe that if we understand the heart of the gospel, the compelling reason why we open up our door, we open up our hearts to those around us, then all the how-tos are going to fall into place. So I want us to buckle up because in probably the next 10 minutes, I am going to take us on a master's class of biblical hospitality. Let's call it hospitality like 501, because once we understand the why of scripture, the rest of the how-tos are all gonna fall into place. Now, for me, realizing that in the pages, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, the heart of hospitality is saturated throughout scripture. It really realigned and reshaped how I think of opening my door. In fact, at the very beginning, God introduces himself as this hospitable God and his nature of hospitality rings true when he welcomed Adam and Eve into the garden. He thought out, he planned, he provided for their every need and he essentially hosted them in paradise. And even when they turned on him, he continued to pursue their hearts. One of the things I realized in Leviticus is the God-centered motivation behind hospitality begins in the Old Testament. When we look at Leviticus 9, 19, 33, and 34, when a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger sojourns with you shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, why? What is that telling us about the heartbeat of hospitality? The Israelites were to model for the surrounding nations what a relationship with God looked like and who God is. It's reminding us of the Lord saying, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of bondage. The Israelites were intimately acquainted with what it felt like to be strangers, to be foreigners, to essentially be hostages from their host. And I think back on the last 19, 20 months, and we kind of have a small glimpse of what it might be to be hostages in our own homes, where this thought of cultural hospitality 
wasn't even available to us. Now, when you break down the word hospitality from the original Greek word, it's a combination of two concepts. Philo is one of the several words for love, and then xenos means stranger. So essentially, if we look in scripture, putting to the two roots together, it has its origin in love and stranger, or love for the outsider. Um, I also like to think of it as kind of opening our life to someone who maybe doesn't, who doesn't understand, who doesn't share our values. In fact, in the Old Testament, one of the things that kind of rocked my world was to find out that it was the law to open up your home to strangers. The Mosaic law is written throughout the Old Testament, and it was not only the host's expectation to house, to offer food, to wash their feet after a dusty travel, and to keep guests from harm. It was their obligation and a break of honor if either the host or the guest refused. Because remember, this is living in a day and age where people couldn't just go to the Holiday Inn, right? When they were traveling, when they were sojourning, they were on the road for days and days. And so part of the Mosaic Law was that they were welcomed, that they were received, that strangers were welcomed as guests and might leave as friends. And even if they were warring enemies, there was a, essentially a peace treaty. For the time that the stranger was under your roof, they were an honored guest. <laughs> I, I think about that when I first thought and thought, oh my goodness, if this was the law today, a lot of us might be in jail. Now we're gonna fast forward to the New Testament. God once again has showed the depths of his hospitable nature because he rescued mankind from ourselves, our sin. This hospitable nature of God, he did the ultimate shift. And instead of hosting like he did in the garden and inviting Adam and Eve and placing them there in paradise, he came. He came physically in man form and offered an invitation to us all. Throughout the gospel, we see these sweeping gestures of hospitality and welcome. In fact, we have just finished a week of feasting and heading into a whole nother month of feasting. So I just think it's important to note that throughout the gospels, the epicenter of fellowship that occurred in the New Testament, it occurred around one of my favorite things, gathering around a table gathering around a meal. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, who when I look at Luke, I'm pretty sure he would have been the ultimate foodie. We find Jesus going to the table, lingering at the table, or leaving the table in almost every page throughout the Gospel of Luke. In fact, the table and food and gathering is mentioned at least 50 times. You know what, when people are fed, they feel cared for. They feel comforted amidst crisis and chaos. And Jesus used this sharing of food throughout his ministry as an opportunity to feed more than the physical needs, right? He knew that food and gathering ministered and nourished souls. It broke down barriers. Food sometimes can bring communities together. 
he radically crossed economic and social boundaries and he even gave enemies the opportunity to sit together. He widened his table because he knew the power of a shared meal. He understood the importance of that. He was the bread of life. He offered living water. As we continue on in our master's program of hospitality, the ultimate act of hospitality is when God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for all of us sinners to make everyone who believes in him a member of the household of God. We are no longer strangers or wanderers. We've come home when we name him as Lord. We've been adopted and grafted into his family through the most glorious act of hospitality the world has ever witnessed. And it's all grace. So here we go. We started in Genesis seeing the hospitable nature of God. And we fast forwarded to the New Testament and saw the Lord showering amounts of hospitality on us. And then we're going to end in Revelation when those who've named Jesus as Lord are, oh, they are going to sit around the Lord's table at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And we are going to have quite a party. Now, I am pretty sure that uh, chips and guacamole aren't going to be there if I have anything to say that. But God chose to display his glorious character and his everlasting love with sweeping gestures of hospitality. Okay, take a deep breath. We just went through a lot of information in 10 minutes. But I really believe if we are going to step forward and understand the full heart and totality of the gospel, it begins by asking the Lord to open the door of our hearts and soften us to the needs of those around us in a powerful and a fresh way. And I know that he can do it because his word is alive and active. And you know what? So many of the stories that I've shared, I have read these. I named Jesus as Lord when I was just four years old. So sometimes I get a little apathetic to the stories and yet he revived in me the importance of opening the doors of our hearts and homes and pursuing our neighbors and welcoming others and how all of that should be near to our hearts. Every single one of us craves connection of some kind because God has created us for community and he has wired us to share our life together. And I can stand before you with conviction and passion and more so now than ever before when I know I've seen his faithfulness when we offer and extend simple invitations. Our welcome can be some of the most strategic and life-giving vehicles that we have to love on others, to shift the culture, and to point others to the fullness of God's glory. When we welcome and invite others into community, it is because of the overarching principle to love God, to love his will, and to point others to his glory. So this foundation that I'm trying to lay of understanding the why of hospitality, when we buy in to the fullness of the gospel, then it compels us to open up the doors of our home and our hearts because we stand before friends and guests testifying to his faithfulness. 
We're living in response to the goodness that he has demonstrated in our own lives. Now, here's a little shift. What I'm going to do in the next 20 minutes is to cast a generational legacy for hospitality. And a generational legacy of open door living. So I'm not talking about a one and done event, right? We, our son just got married last weekend and we have hosted bridal showers and we have hosted a rehearsal dinner. Those were beautiful acts of hospitality, but they were one and done events. And I put a lot more time into those than I normally would when I throw the red solo cups and the frozen pizza out on the table. So we're casting a vision for open door living. And in that, we need to understand that our view of social entertaining has hijacked the heart of biblical hospitality. In our Western culture, we have become so isolated and so individualized that we are not living in communities like a lot of other cultures, especially those of the Old Testament. And so how do we shift to that? I can't even believe that I am going to be reading from Martha Stewart here on uh, this message. But I think it's important because culture has dictated this radical idea of what we think about hospitality. In her flagship book, Entertaining, Martha Stewart says, entertaining, like cooking, is a little selfish because it really involves pleasing yourself with a guest list that will coalesce into our ideal of harmony. I needed to look up what coalesce meant. And with a menu orchestrated to our home and our taste, and given these considerations, entertaining needs to be pleasurable. Y'all, this is the antithesis to the gospel. What words, what verbs stick out? Pride and pleasure. Philippians 2.3 talks about do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than ourselves. Entertaining or appearances, or pride, makes this motivation and our why about us. And I understand now, I want us to shift our ideas a little. As I'm talking, think about your office, think about your classroom, think about the people in line at the grocery store. While I am going to be using home as an example, we are going to expand as we walk this road of welcome in our everyday life. Biblical hospitality offers our best to him. It's a transformative choice to pursue holiness. It transforms our selfish motives and it elevates our guests. And when we think about biblical Christ-following, holy hospitality, when the hospitable hostess swings wide the door, we say, there you are. Our attentions are focused outward. We say no one is more important than you, and I am so thrilled that you've come. Our posture bends low. It generously offers our heart to another. Despite whatever interruptions 
to our own plans or comfort. And let me tell you, I live a pretty busy, dizzy life, and this is something that I have had to remind myself that I need to view interruptions as divine invitations. And when I do that, when I walk the road of welcome, it is amazing the ways that the Lord goes before me and gives these interruptions opportunities to bloom into God-centered conversations. We need to shift our focus from us to them. No need to worry about what to say or how to, you know, set the table. We're treating everyone as a guest of honor rather than grasping at honor for ourselves. We ask ourselves our motivation. Why am I doing this? What is my motivation? Subtly having our heart shift and realigning our intentions, status-seeking versus servanthood. Here I am versus no, there you are, self-serving to serving others. And it is a vulnerable place to be, right? Welcoming people into our homes and our stories and our lives can be risky. And this is where one of the Jen Schmidt things that I say is grace on and guilt off. We're going to step forward knowing that he has equipped us right here to step forward out of obedience, from devotion, not duty. We're gonna step from being a hostage to others' expectations and appearances, stepping forward to hosting people and welcoming them. I know that this is a church built on loving your neighbors, so I am not gonna spend time talking so much about the greatest commandment, but for those of you as a refresher, what does it say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There's no divided allegiances. They are presented as twin commandments in Scripture, as a united whole. You can't pick or choose. They're coming together, loving God and loving others. Love is our invitation to act and when we embrace an open door lifestyle, the one word behind that motivation, our why, is to love, right? Our choices launch from that cornerstone. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 has become a new life verse for me when I talk about, when I think about open door living in my own heart. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You see, our Christian life and our thought life, that theology is cruciform. It's meaning the shape of the cross. And so when we think about that verse, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It has this vertical and horizontal component. It's going up, loving God, and out, loving others. John 3.11 says, we speak of that which we know and testify to what we have seen. The Greek in that verse for to know, I do, is not just cognitive knowledge or head knowledge. I, I mean, some of you are students. I mean, we love our Bible studies. We love to dive in. We are great at the head knowledge. We sit here and we soak it all in. And it is head knowledge. We believe it. 
But this verse says we need to then testify also to what we have seen. It's rooted in, in experiential knowledge to know, to perceive with the eyes, to the senses, to discern, to pay attention. There's a ministry in this verse of paying attention in our everyday lives. And in this Facebook society, words virtually, in my opinion, mean nothing anymore. We are good at spouting words. We are good at putting up a Facebook theology post. But you know what? This needs to be a walk and talk it out kind of hospitality. Word made flesh, Jesus with skin on theology. Cruciform life means that the way we love our neighbor reveals something about the way we love God. And the way we love God reveals something about the way we love our neighbor. Hospitality is the welcome mat of the heart. But you guys, let's be honest, some of us are wearing a sign around our knot that says, beware of the dog. Don't overthink this. Start simply. Start simply and you know what? In our neighborhood, wherever that may be, it may be a college dorm room, it may be an apartment complex, you may view your neighborhood right now as an office building or cubicles. And sometimes it just starts by humbling ourselves, taking a walk in our neighborhood. And, you know, I said we're wearing a sign that says, beware of dog. Maybe we have a dog. Walking the dog is a great way to get to know our neighbors. And maybe it means we take a walk down the street, we cross over to those people that we have been waving to for the last year, and we introduce ourselves, and we apologize, and we just said, you know what, we have been living in such a crazy time that I haven't had the opportunity to get to know you. I would love to have you over. We're putting some burgers on the grill this weekend. I know it's spontaneous, but why don't you join us? Don't overthink this notion of walking this road of welcome. In Romans 12, 13, Paul encourages us to pursue hospitality, to take every opportunity to open our life and our home to others. And you know what? He didn't clarify it for those who think, oh, I don't have the gift of hospitality. When we look again at the Greek for that word, practice or pursue is an ongoing verb. It's an active verb, which means it doesn't say in there, love them and pursue hospitality once your kids are grown. Love them and pursue hospitality once you know how to cook a good dinner. There are no clarifications. It says pursue hospitality, and it is a command. But you know what I love? That the Lord is not going to command something in his scripture if he hasn't called, equipped, and appointed us to do amazing things right where we are in whatever role we're serving with whatever kind of home we're living in with whatever finances he's given us. I can speak to this generational lifestyle of hospitality when my husband and I were unemployed and we realized, do we need money to host? We came up with so many creative ways to do that. Some of you I know are thinking, okay, I'm too busy. You do not realize, Jen, how busy I am. And that is right. I've been there. I understand. There is no way I want to put unnecessary expectations on you. 
So what did we do when I was feeling that? I looked at how Jesus walked this road of welcome. When I started diving into the background of Jesus' life and I started looking like, what does his house look like? What is his schedule? I realized that our hospitality, the guru, the Christ, the one who we model after, the one who we want to be an image bearer of, he was essentially homeless. We don't know anything about his home. And so what did he do? Everywhere he went, he took his hospitality on the go. Hospitality will travel. And he offered simple invitations. Come with me. Sit with me. Linger with me. Drink with me. Eat with me. Simple invitations of welcome. Hospitality on the go. It has reframed what I do. When I think of the road of Jericho and the parable of the great Samaritan, you know what I love about that parable? I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but he was walking a road of welcome. So many people passed on by. He didn't have to go seek out his hospitality. It was there in front of him. And he stopped and he helped and he comforted and he cared for. So when I think of simple invitations, I think who is walking my Jericho road this week? I might not even have to veer off my schedule. It's right there. With young kids, I had a season of a pity party and uh, my son, My husband had signed us all up for football and it was like this blood oath of four days a week and I was mad. It was not a Christ-honoring kind of opportunity for me and yet as I got to these practices, it was like the Lord kind of took my shoulders and shook me up a little bit and said, Jen, Look to your right and your left. Get your face out of your magazine. We didn't have cell phones at that time, or I'm sure I would have been scrolling. He goes, I have given you everything you need to testify to my goodness to the people around you. You're at the football field every day with people from different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, different political backgrounds. Meet them where they're at. I needed that reminder. And so what did I do? I had little stair-step children at the time. I was overwhelmed, but I decided to pack some extra goldfish and bring a blanket. And I started inviting women to sit with me on my blanket while we watched our kids play football. And that blanket ended up becoming decades worth of football seasons the blanket became an altar, which allowed our family to take our hospitality on the go and testify to his goodness to those that were on my Jericho road. The Lord brought the people to me. I didn't even have to invite them over to my house, although we've had plenty of football parties since then. Throughout scripture, God uses ordinary people He used an overstressed, overbusy young mom who felt very unseen 
And every moment I thought, this seems so insignificant. But you know what? The Lord used those seasons for extraordinary kingdom building moments. It just starts with one invitation. I didn't have it all together. I was needy. I was broken. But I just was like, I'm willing and I'm able to use me for your glory. We are all that someone that God wants us to use now to be the difference in one person's life to make an impact to that next generation. We learn to make room for one more because he first made room for one more. We invite others to the table because he demonstrated the beauty of life done together. We initiate, we invite, and we gather because he did it first. You see, opening our doors is an act of worship. And often I want the easy way out. I want the reward without the risk. I want the community without the commitment that comes with it. I want the willingness. I have the willingness, but I don't want the work involved. But sometimes faithful living, it requires a little bit of a harder faith to say, okay, take what I have and multiply it and use it for your glory. I'm going to end with an email that I received. And I'm often reminded of this one invitation. We had four kids at the time. I think our eldest was six and I had an open room. My house was a mess. I couldn't see straight, but there was a need for a college student who needed a place to live for the summer. And I waited for other people to open their doors, but nobody stepped forward. So I said, sure. I would love to tell you that every, every morning she came down the stairs and I had classical music playing and candles going with fresh baked scones and I opened scripture and discipled her in deep and meaningful ways. I don't even remember doing anything. I remember feeling so in over my head, but I had a bed and a room that she could stay in. Well, I reached out to her when I wrote Just Open the Door um, because she emailed me a few years back and she said, maybe this is one of those things where you left a mark on my life and you don't even remember me or even like me. Now, women, <laughs> we need to give other people the benefit of the doubt. She had sent me an email and it went to my spam, so I didn't see it. And when I finally saw it, I reached back out. But her email continued. But I remember you, and I remember the night I said you looked like your dad and you told me you were adopted. I never forgot a lot of things, like seeing a real Christian family live their life, loving discipline, intentionally leaving a heritage of Christ, bearing up under tough times. And after adopting our oldest daughter, I still thought of you. And I just wanted you to know I never forgot. And it impacts me now as a wife and a mother. She sent that to me first, and I responded back to her. I was overwhelmed because the only memory I have of those times together was, oh my goodness, I really didn't do much for this girl. And here was her response. 
I think of you a lot when I see my life now. The way my neat house morphed into papers, clothing, snack wrappers, and thickening desks. My long days no longer have enough hours and the appointments and music lessons and sports. My life is so different and some days I don't even want to get out of bed. But see, sweet friend, I saw you in the hard choosing the highest good. Your kids' socks didn't match, but you greeted them each morning like you had not seen them in months. They knew they were loved. I remember you would make mac and cheese and not fully mix the cheese in, but Greg would read the Bible to your kids after you ate. Okay, how does she remember that? And who doesn't know how to mix cheese in? You chose not what was good, but what was better or best where it counted. And I remember hearing you discipline your kids in the kind but firm way you would speak to them. To this day, they understood that they were loved and they are. The short time in your house was discipleship. It was a glimpse into a godly home that shaped our home now. And I find myself having young mothers come to me for wisdom. And I wonder how I even got here. Jen, you began that legacy in me. You truly did. I hope you understand that your beautiful imperfection showed me the margin we should have in our own lives and that it's not about looking like a magazine or having it together. You showed me authentic beauty raising your kids while putting one foot in front of the other and being in the trenches of the heart. I gleaned more from you than you'll ever know. And I remember every moment you did carve out for me. I appreciate you and your family so much. Friends, I share that because that is the messy invitation and act of worship. Hospitality as worship. If somebody who can't even mix powdered mac and cheese can make a difference in somebody's life, then I know, just replace your name in that email and you have the opportunity to make a mark on someone in the same way. Simple invitations are worship. And I can't wait to hear your story, maybe in a year, five years, or 20 years. We might not know the ending, but he's just asking us, are we willing and are we available?